All right. Welcome to episode 86 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Mark Marrow. He's an American retired professional amateur boxer and professional wrestler, as well as a motivational speaker. He's also the author of the book, How to Be the Happiest Person on the Planet. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me today, man. How you guys doing? <laughs> We're oh, doing awesome. So happy to have you on. And so obviously, as I'm sure most of our audience at this point already knows, I'm like a lifelong wrestling fan. So to have Mark Marrow on this podcast for me and even for Alan, because he loves like motivational speaking and kind of like sort of people that are able to kind of instill like great values and pump people up. So he loves to have those kind of folks on too. So um, I guess to kind of start, right, going back into the wrestling business, the first question is going to be for you, Mark. How did you get into it? Like, what was your start like in the early sort of Johnny B. Bad days? Um, you know, it's, it's really strange. Um, after I was, uh, I, well, going back to my boxing career, I won the New York State Golden Gloves year after year. And then I was a member of the USA boxing team. I was living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, training at the U.S. Olympic Training Center. And it was there where I decided, I, I realized I was one of the best fighters in the whole country. So I decided to turn professional in boxing. And uh, so I flew back from Colorado back to New York. I turned professional. And Two weeks before my first professional boxing match, which was scheduled in my hometown in New York, I had my nose shattered in an accident. And it was in that time off that the doctors, after reconstruction of my nose, it was like I almost had like almost a year before I could go back and have full contact again. But it was in that year off, I started making some really bad choices. And the first thing I did wrong, and I share this with everybody, is we become who we surround ourselves with. And then I started hanging out with the wrong people. And next thing you know, I got involved with drugs and, and alcohol. And 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 I, I remember always saying to, I'd go to these parties and get really messed up on drugs and stuff. And, and I'd say, man, I'm coming back in one year. I'm gonna be champ of the world all drunk and high, you know? And I do this week after week, month after month. Well, one year turned into two years, two years turned into four years. And four years turned into 10 years of my life of drug addiction. So now I'm 30 years old, you know, years of the only job I can get with my limited high school education was in uh, construction. I was like building swimming pools, you know? And um, I remember I had a bunch of friends over my apartment and one of my buddies, he's like flipping through my TV channels and he landed on professional wrestling. I go, whoa, 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 stop it there. Let me see this. And he's looking as he, as I'm looking at this television, watching professional wrestling. I remember just saying to my buddies, now we're all just hanging out, drinking beers and stuff. And I go, hey, guys, I can do that. My buddies, they bust out laughing. I, and these are so funny because these are still my friends to this day. They're all laughing. They go, man, look at the size of those guys, man. They'll pick you up over their head and throw you right out of that ring. I said, no, I'm serious. I can do that because I was always a good athlete, you know? Thinking in my head, I could do this very easily, you know? Yeah. And um, so at the gym I trained at, there were some guys that would drive from, I was living in Venice, Florida at the time. They'd drive from Venice, Florida to Atlanta, Georgia, hoping to be picked for WCW TV tapings as one of the guys that just gets beat up on TV for like 150 bucks, you know? <laughs> I guess refer to him as a job or enhancement guy, you know? And I, I remember saying to him, I started, I started going to Malenko's school. You know, Dean Malenko's dad was Boris Malenko. So I'd go to his school. I'd drive about an hour to Tampa, Florida from where I lived in Venice. And I'd go to his school. And 
the first or second time I went to WCW, I remember um, they put me in the ring with uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, who was at the time tag team champions doom, you know? <laughs> so here I am as green as grass, you know, <laughs> no, only had a couple matches in my whole life, you know, I'm on national television wrestling the world tag team champions, you know? So after the match, it was, uh, they said Dusty, need, Dusty Rhodes was the booker. And they mm -hmm. said, Dusty Rhodes would like to see you in his office. So I go back and they had like a kind of a makeshift office at center stage. And it's where Dusty Rhodes said to me, he goes, hey, kid, anybody ever tell you, you look like little Richard? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was talking about a wrestler. So yeah. I said, man, I don't know who little Richard is. He goes, you don't know little Richard, a wop bum a loo bum a wop boo you know? And I go, oh, you mean the singer? Yeah, he goes, he goes, anybody ever tell you you look like him? And I said, man, Dusty, I've never heard that before. He goes, I think I got a gimmick for you. And next thing you know, I'm Johnny B. Bad. My dreams come true, you know, and I owe it all to a guy who said, anybody ever tell you, you look like Little Richard. Wow. So anyways, long story short, that was how I got into WCW wrestling. I did. I spent six years as Johnny B. Bad, and I moved on to WWE as Wildman Mark Merrill, and eventually Marvelous Mark Merrill. Went on to TNA as Johnny B. Bad. Went to XWF as Johnny B. Bad with Hulk Hogan. So I had a, a all together. It was about a 14 year run, and it was a you know there's just the the journey of life, man. The ups, the downs, the good, the bad. It was just all the different paths I took ended up to right where I am right now, talking to you guys. Okay. <laughs> and what was it like for you in WCW, especially during those early times, like before kind of the whole NWO and the Monday Night War started? Oh, man, I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, obviously, I was very green. They put me with some really seasoned wrestlers to help me. You know, I'm basically learning as I go. You know, I mean, right. here you are learning wrestling Ric Flair. You know what I mean? So they put me with some great guys to start with. You know, um, uh, I got to give hats off to certain guys like even uh, um, Raven. Uh, you know, Scotty was, was, was great. Helped me out when I first started. They put me in a program with him. Um, Man, I just the, the list ones of Ricky Morton, uh, Steve Regal was so inspirational. Um, Paul Levesque, you know, Jean Paul Levesque back when before he was Triple H, uh, wrestle him many times. Stone Cold Steve Austin, when he was studying Steve Austin, wrestled him hundreds of times, you know. So guys had taught me as I as I went along. And then me and Diamond Dale's page would go on to the power plant. And, and work on our moves and our matches. So they put us in a program together and we had the best time. To this, to this day, he's one of my closest friends. Yeah. Yeah. And DDP is awesome. Shout out to him, who was obviously on our podcast several weeks ago. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah I live close by him. So uh, he's got me doing uh, the, the DDPY yoga. Uh -huh. uh, I can now put my foot over my head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, DDP. <laughs> Yeah, what's so cool is that, like, I think that you and DDP are literally like me and Alan. Like, the way you guys kind of hang out and interact, like, how you guys have the same things in common, where you guys would do the yoga, maybe you guys have some other sort of athletic activities in common. So, kind of like us. So, it's really cool. It's great to see you guys, like, being such good friends. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing I, I love about Dallas, and, and it's my passion also, is helping other people. You know, we found no greater joy in our life after our wrestling careers ended to make a difference, you know, to, to, to inspire others to be the best version of themselves they can possibly be. And me speaking at schools all over the world, I mean, man, my school program took off so much. We even went to Russia and spoke at schools in Russia. Last year we were in Guatemala. So it's just taken off. And I, you know, as much as I, I enjoyed the wrestling chapters of my life, 
not even, I can't even, you can't even hold a candle to what um, I do now and, and the joy I have in my life, the, the, the happiness that's brought me just making a difference. I mean, every day I received so many letters of someone that said, whether they saw a video of me or they saw me in person or they're going through a hard time. They remember what I said some years back or something. So seeing those every day is just a, a joy to wake up to and see new messages. I got one today that just blew me away and I, I can't wait to uh, spend some time and write this person back. Oh, what did that person say, if you don't mind? I'm sorry? What did that person say, if you don't mind? Um, I can read you the letter if yeah. you like. Okay. Um, well, let me see if I can, can I pull it up on my computer while I'm talking to you guys? Can you still see me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me, let me, uh, I'll read you the letter. Hey, this is something new. I've never done this before. Uh, <laughs> other than reading a letter off my phone, but I use my phone to videotape this. Um, um, okay, here we go. It says, uh, your video about your mom inspired me. My heart hurts so much, Mark, and I needed to hear that message. My mom has congestive heart failure and I don't talk to her enough. I love you and thank you for the video. I drove to my mom's house tonight. My two older brothers have put my mom through hell. She raises three of my nephews and has cardio empathy, my, my, my apathy, and can, and can pass away at any time. My brothers break her heart and I watch my hero and the only person has ever, who has never given up on me, um, watch her heartbreak. Uh, then she says, um, I, I, he said, I battled my own depression. I had a hard time watching my mom hurt and not being able to do anything. Tonight, we watched your video together. We cried. I gave her a big hug and told her how much I love her. I watched you wrestle my whole life as a kid, as a villain. Who would have thought that you would have become my hero later on in life? So that's oh, just an, an example of some of the letters I get every day. And um, I just, um, I don't know, guys, I'm just so blessed to, to know that somehow, some way, you know, my heartbreak is other people's wake up call. If, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what happened with your mom? Um, my mom, you know, guys, I don't know if you know the story, but I was wrestling over in, in Japan. Um, many years of my life uh, of drug addiction, I would come home and, you know, my friends would drive me home. We'd be drunk and high in the car. We'd pull up in front of my house and they, I remember them saying, hey, Mark, the lights are all on. I go, yeah, my mother's up. And I get so pissed, you know, mm -hmm. and my mom wouldn't go to bed until she knew her son was still alive. And I remember walking in and, and my mom, she was so relieved to see me that I was okay. And she says, hi, Mark, how was your night? And I'd be like, mom, I'm good. I'm just going to go to bed. She goes, well, can, can I please talk to you for a minute? I go, mom, I'm tired of going to bed. And I remember her saying, Mark, I haven't seen you all day and all night. Can I please talk to you? And I remember just slamming my door and said, man, you bug me. Just leave me alone. And that's how I treated my mom. So now fast forward. I make it into wrestling. I'm wrestling overseas in Japan. And after my wrestling match, when I'm upstairs in my hotel room, I fell asleep. There was a knock at my door at three o'clock in the morning. And it was uh, the Japanese promoter. And he said, I, I you know, looked through the little, the little safety window. I could see, it, see who it was. And so I opened the door and he said, Mark, you need to call home. There's been an emergency. Yeah. So I run back in the room. I call back United States. And that's where I learned that my mom had passed on. And guys, I tell you, it, it was like always so much in life we take for granted the very things in life we should appreciate. And everything hit me at that moment. I remember, I remember just dropping the phone and running out of my hotel room. I took the elevator to the lobby and I, and I remember when the doors opened up, I just ran out into the street 
of Hiroshima, Japan. I mean, there was no cars, there was no people. It was three in the morning. And I just walked down the middle of the street. I remember just looking up to heaven and just saying, Mom, I am so sorry. And it just hit me there, man. I remember I couldn't even, when I went home for a funeral, I couldn't even walk up to her casket. I was just in so much, just grief and, and uh, just so mad at myself, you know, for missing out on those moments with my mom. And, you know, guys, other than God's love, I don't think there's a greater love on this planet than a mother's love for her kids. And sometimes you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And unfortunately, I, I learned the hard way, but I use that today as my heartbreak for someone else's wake up call. And it seems to really make a difference. Yeah. And how was she in terms of your wrestling career? Was she like supportive and inspiring? Oh my God, my yeah. mom, she, you know, every sport I played, you know, she worked two jobs trying to support us kids. But man, when I had a, when I had a sporting events, if she could be there, she would absolutely be there. And one of the things I share in, uh, in, in videos is like, my mom would be like at my, all my sporting events. So I remember playing football. Now, you know, football games, most of the parents, they sit up in the bleachers or the stands or whatever to watch their kids play, you know. Yeah. My mom had to be on the sideline. And if the play on the field started going one way, my mother would run along with us, like along the sideline. Mom, get him, get him. I'd be like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was so mad, guys. And like, I remember I'd be in the huddle and my buddies would go, Hey man, Mark, is that your mother? And I'd look up and say, no, I never saw her before. My life. <laughs> you know? What's that lady? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, guys, that's what um, I was uh, just so blessed to have in my life is, uh, you know, a mom that just was always there for me. And um, so I think it, it's really helped other people build stronger relationships with their their, their, their parents. And then also, you know, I share about my little brother and sister. They both died at 21. Uh, I share the story about my father. He died while I was holding in my arms. So I've lost so many um, close people. I mean, I only have my brother, my brother Joel and my sister Jody left as my, my siblings. My other ones passed on. But I, I use these stories to inspire others to build relationships. The greatest thing we're going to have in life is relationships. You know, when, when you're on your deathbed, you are not going to care how many followers you have on social media. You, you aren't going to care what someone said about you. You are just going to ask for your loved ones, whether it's your husband, your wife, your kids, your family, your siblings, whoever, you're going to want to be with them. And that's what life is all about. And when you learn that and understand that, you realize what's truly important. Mm. Do you feel like in those early, go ahead, Alan. Um, no, actually you go ahead, I'll, I'll ask after. Okay, so Mark, do you feel like in those early days you were chasing and pursuing fame? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, we, 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 when you grow up, you're led to believe, you know, I, I have a little book that I have since I was 10 years old. And that little book I wrote, and, and it's so funny because most of the things I wrote down as a kid, they eventually became a reality in my life. And I use people, I use this to teach people about writing your, writing your goals and dreams into existence or speaking it into existence, but writing it down is a whole nother chapter that I talk about in my book and in my life is, is about, you know, I wrote down, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I wrote down, we're going to win rookie of the year. I wrote down, be a millionaire. I'm gonna, all these, you know, materialistic things. I want a fancy black Cadillac. I want a big house. All these things you think are going to make you happy in life, you know, the material things. 
And you realize we, we chase these material things in life and because you learn that, you know, um, uh, money is the key to happiness, you know? And because we see all these rich and famous people on television that are so happy, they, all the, they show their cars and their houses and all the cool things they got, you know? But I realized that, that, that happiness is actually the key to success. And happiness is a choice we all have the ability to make. Like, like I told you earlier, man, I can think about all the bad things in my life. You know, we're going through this pandemic. You know, I can't do live events right now or how depressed or bummed out I could be. Or I can think about the blessings in my life, man. I thank God I don't have the, the, the coronavirus, you know. Um, I can do virtual events on, on social media through, uh, through my podcast or through other avenues of, of um, you know, where people could see me, you know, so I think about these blessings in my life, the friends and family that I have, and man, it's, it's more than counting my money, I count my blessings. Yeah. yeah, and it's like wood wrestling, it's such an unforgiving or can be such an unforgiving business. And so for you back then, right back in kind of the wrestling days, how were you able to pick yourself up and inspire yourself to keep going forward, especially like, let's say throughout injuries, uh, maybe difficulties you had with some of the promoters, um, sort of like what were the mindsets you had back then? And how did you think about things? Well, wrestling's a real strange dynamic. There's some people that are really good politically, you know, political, being a good wrestler, you know, like, for example, I got to say, maybe there's maybe 20, 25 spots available for television when you really think about right. it. You know? yeah. And if you're not jacked up, ready to go, you know, there's a hundred thousand people behind you that are. So mm-hmm. you, to keep your spot or to be relevant you know you have to really perform you have to you know be good on different aspects of of whether you're a good talker whether you're a good wrestler you know and 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 combining those things good athletic ability or whatever it would be you know and there were certain things i was really good at and there were certain things i was not very good at i was not very good politically i'll be first one to admit it you know i wasn't one of those guys that um is out partying with the promoter or, or you know or being a best friend with someone that would had political influence um, and, and I look back on my career and I think, you know, I wouldn't change anything because like I said, you know, all the paths I took in my life ends up to right where I am now. And maybe if something changed different back then, it would have changed where I'm at right now. And I wouldn't change this place to be for anything in the world. Yeah. And I was wondering, uh, how'd you actually get started in motivational speaking? Well, you know, it's funny because after wrestling ended, um, I was a personal trainer, believe it or not. I mean, after my divorce uh, from Rena, who was Sable, you know, uh, my life kind of took a downward turn. You know, the housing market crashed and we had all these, I had so many financial difficulties. And so what am I going to do? I got to get a job. I mean, like a regular job. Mm-hmm. And so I became a personal trainer at Gold's Gym, mm-hmm. Altamont Springs, Florida. And um, I, I remember, I, you know, I even remember like people would come and they go, oh my gosh, Mark Merrill. They go, what are you doing here? I go, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I work here. They go, you work at Gold's Gym? What do you do? You own it? <laughs> and I go, no, I'm a personal trader. And it, it was kind of a humbling experience. In other words, people try to put you on this pedestal, but I'm no different than nobody else. You know, I don't think myself is any better than anybody else, but here's what I did. I took personal training to a, it's like whatever I did in life, I really wanted to be good at. And my clients started getting the best results. In other words, I was able to inspire them and train them and people are losing weight and getting in shape. And it was just incredible. So I had the overwhelming 
clientele, you know? So I was doing really well financially mm. as a personal trainer. And I said, not like wrestling money, but you know, it was, it was good. So I opened my own gym and, and hired other personal trainers and it really took off. Oh. So, but at that point, I got a phone call from a Melbourne high school football coach. And he said, Hey, Mark, you know, we saw you on some of these news shows. Would you mind coming and speaking to our football players? I said, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I went and spoke to the, to the, the I don't know, 40, 50 football players. I can't remember exactly. It was the whole team, you know, the varsity team. And as I'm talking to them, I noticed that they're really engaged in what I was saying about just you know, overcoming adversity in my own life and, you know, uh, getting off drugs and all these different things. And it really inspired them. So I started getting some like emails from some of the football players, man, you really changed my life. And it was really cool. It's like, wow, what a great feeling that was to do that. Well, unbeknownst to me, the football coach called another school and said, hey, we just had this guy here talk to our kids. He used to wrestle for WWE, great guy. They really inspired him. So that school said, can you come and speak to our whole school? <laughs> so now wow. it's my first assembly in a, like an auditorium. And, and so I just, uh, you know, it was like trial and error. You learn you what works, what doesn't work. And I just put together a program that really started taking off. And I started using visuals, you know, being coming from the wrestling industry, you kind of, everything's bigger than life. So right. I thought we'd have a big screens. And, and as I'm sharing stories of my life, they show the apartment I grew up in, you know, uh, friends and family members that may have passed on or whatever it would be I'm talking about was happening behind me. So kids were enthralled in it. It was like, they were really like, oh my God, it was an amazing press, best prestige we ever had. So it just snowballed and, and it got up to, you know, I remember 2018, we did 293 events in one year. I never even did that many events in wrestling, you know? Wow. And is, is this something that like, uh, after a while, after being asked to come on, is it something that now you set up yourself? Like you'll uh, like rent out a space or something like that and make an event of it and people come to that event? Or is it that no, it's just that you're being invited? Uh, to yeah, no, you know what it is, guys? Um, we have had so many people reach out to us. We, um, thank goodness, I really haven't had to do that because we're constantly offered to go places all over the country still. And, um, you know, and I, I'm assuming when this uh, pandemic slows down, we'll get right back out there again. Maybe, you know, not this school year, but maybe next school year. Um, but in the meantime, I, I still want to just keep, you know, inspiring people and trying to do the best, give the best version of myself. You know, I can always improve. I don't look at myself as being to where I want to be in life, but there's always like improvements you want to make in your own life. You know, I've gone through my own hardships and made, made my own mistakes, you know, but you, if you can learn to treat those mistakes as learning experiences, then they're not really mistakes. They're, they become learning experiences. Absolutely. And what I love so much about your work and watching the lectures that you give and uh, in particular, the Mother's Day video, which I really love, is that like, it's so hard to, you know, kind of talk to kids because, you know, I'm sure you guys both know their attention spans at this point are like, you know, 10 seconds tops, right? But then for you and you kind of in your lectures and in those wonderful videos, you got these kids crying, man, and you got them hooked and like the things that you're saying to them, you can really tell it's touching them. So it's, it must be really awesome to be able to do that on a wide level, especially again, you know, kind of taking into consideration the short attention span and the fact that like for the most part kids don't look view anything for more than 10 to 15 seconds yeah you know it's really funny guys um what's really been a blessing now is so many of these kids have seen some of my videos so it's a little different now walking out on stage but you know it, it's funny because when you walk out sometimes like when you walk out to a high school the kids are just sitting there like 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And by the end of the presentation, they're like, there's a line of kids through the hallway that want to meet you, you know? And uh, it, it's just seeing the dynamic of the school and you see some of the toughest kids, the big football players that are just <laughs> trying or whatever. It, it really is a heartfelt presentation. And I give it my all when I'm on stage. In other words, I, I couldn't just call it in. I really, it's like, like for the example I gave you about my mom, I, I relive myself walking up to her casket on that stage. And there's not a dry eye in the house. And you see a lot of kids put their arms around each other, you know, uh, give each other support. So it's a, it's amazing dynamic to be on stage and watch this from there. And you know, it's funny because I've gotten emotional myself and not from me telling the story, but from me watching the students that are crying or really um, having a tough time listening to it uh, because of an emotional thing that maybe they've gone through and they can relate to my story. And I think that's what's so cool is so many kids tell me they feel safe talking to me because they get open up and talk about things they could never talk about with their parents. Everything from, you know, whether it's coming out of the closet or, or a suicidal thought that they've been having or whatever it is that kids are, are opening up to me. And, you know, and we're getting kids, you know, the help they need or, or putting, getting them on the right path or, or give them hope. You know, when you ever, you want, you got to give kids hope today, man. We're seeing suicides at an all time high. And we're seeing so many kids have just the depression, the isolation, the loneliness that these young people are experiencing today, and especially the pandemic has just added on to all this of what we're going through. And we've got to pull together. Yeah. And it must be really hard to deal with, especially when you have a kid talking about suicide. What do you usually tell them? Oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I share my own story, you know, that there was a time in my life I didn't want to be here. I mean, I lost my fam most of my family members, lost some really good friends in the wrestling industry, um, drug addiction, everything I was going through in my life, I just didn't want to be here no more. And I remember, you know, my story is a little different. And I'm not out here preaching, but for me, I just got down on my knees. I asked Christ into my life. My, my life completely changed. I never even went to re rehab or you know, I never got to go to drug rehab or anything. It's like that day, it was 2003. So we're talking about 18 years drug-free. Not, not never touched an illegal drug since eight, 18 years ago. And I remember that was when I just wanted to, to change my life. I didn't know how I was going to change my life, you know? And that's when I first got a job as the trainer, like I told you earlier. And I just... I just wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be a better person than I was. And um, so what I tell kids today is um, every day I wake up, I look up and I am so thankful I didn't end my life. See, I never would have known all the beautiful things that were to come. New friends, new purpose, you know, new mm. love. I mean, all the great things that have happened in my life happened because I didn't end it. And they have no idea how great they can be. And I challenge them, man. And I, and, and next thing you know, you see that smile come through the tears and you just see kids that are hope. We have one girl that um, she actually, before I came to her school, she tried to hang herself. She jumped, she put the noose around her neck and she jumped off the chair and, and, and the rope actually broke before it killed her. And this student, then the, then the next day I came to her school and it changed her life. And now this was like 10 years ago and she just had her first baby. And she attributes wow. me something that saved her life and that she never tried, never went through suicide again and, and drugs and everything else that, that changed in her life. So I just think of things like that, that, you know, maybe, you know, where I talk about my heartbreak is someone else's wake up call, but 
maybe if I didn't go through all these these valleys in life, I never would have known what the mountaintop looked like. So don't ever give up. Absolutely. What was um what was maybe the first thing that sort of brought you out of depression? Would you say it's um gratitude is it the service when you started to uh be a personal trainer was it that um you didn't let your uh thoughts get to you like sometimes uh, like for for me for example um gratitude was definitely very helpful for me when i was uh depressed um i had to kind of rewire my brain and see things from a different perspective in order to sort of uh see life through a different filter because like sometimes when you believe so strongly like negatively you look for evidence of that in your world. But then when you try to maybe kind of rewire how you think, you start to notice things automatically differently. And then things start to sort of change from there, at least like in my experience. But um, I, you know, what? Yeah. attitude and gratitude is so important. Our minds are so powerful. And we often build obstacles in our brains that aren't even there. We like, we always think worst case scenarios. You know? Right. Yeah. It's so sad to see people that go, well, what happens if this happens? What if it doesn't happen? Chances are probably the most things we worry about never even happen or never as bad as we envision, you know? Right. So I would, what's really helped me, and not only the gratitude in my life, you know, I'm so blessed on my health and the joy I have, but I really found that joy from helping others. So whenever I see a student going through a hard time, I said, man, your story is, you know, you, you, this the story, your, your future trial is, your, your current trial is your future testimony. You are going to help so many people by sharing this story or helping another person because, you know, it's like what, what like, for example, a student that's gone through uh, maybe self-harm or suicidal thoughts or whatever, and she's overcome that, you know, imagine her that, that it's almost like someone's assigned to her life that's going through the same thing. Because how many times do, uh, when people go up to other kids, and they go, hey, I know what you're going through. I know, I know how you feel. And they have no idea how they feel, yeah. you know? But the person that has actually gone through this will say, I know how you feel. And you could see in their eyes and you feel that, that they really understand what you've gone through. And then all of a sudden that, that joy of helping someone else, you know, just propels you, your life into a different atmosphere. In, in my case, that it's just been a great, I just, I just love, I love helping people. Yeah, absolutely, man. And do you feel like there's, uh, or there was, I guess, yeah, if there were any lessons in, that you took away from your wrestling career that helped motivate you now or kind of um, shape the way you kind of, let's say, talk to people or shape some of the things that you say? You know, there's so many uh, wrestlers I actually took different things away from uh, that really have helped me in my life now. And I'll, I'll give you a, a, a quick one was um, um, when you're on, like, you know, like if you're on opening matches, first through five or six, you know, you just can't wait to get out of there, you know, because then there's intermission and then, you know, you know, four or five more matches, you don't feel like wait until the end, you know. I always remember watching Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He'd always watch the matches and he'd peek through the little curtain and he'd watch the matches and watch the matches. And I would think, oh my God, this guy watches every match. And the thing I didn't realize is that when I wrestled him, the reason why we had such great matches, he knew all my moves. He knew, he, he had in his mind how it would be to work with me and what I could and couldn't do. And he became such a ring general. Like he, he just, uh, um, he just absorbed it, you know? And I remember I couldn't wait to get out of there, you know, and there's Steve looking through the curtain, watching a match. Right. You know, and I was always like, 
And I actually told him this when I was on his podcast that, man, you know, he, he just was so talented. And I took that work ethic that I watched him back then because I wasn't doing it. I, I would go to the power plant, work out with Dallas and stuff, you know, but he didn't have to do that because he just knew everybody's moves and everything. And I, I took that same work ethic that I watched Steve Austin do in wrestling and, uh, and guys like DDP and guys that had this incredible work ethic. Um, and I took that into motivational speaking. And that's why I was able to do so many events in a year um, and just keep, keep the grind, keep it going, keep it going, man. There's times where you just go, oh man, I don't like doing this day. There was days I had to do five presentations in a day. Wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, each one's an hour. Now that, that's just on stage for an hour, the yeah. prep and the, the, the meeting the kids after it just takes a toy. Imagine doing that five times in a day just wears you out. But I learned that work ethic watching people that did it day after day. And Stone Cold Steve Austin, I owe him a, a debt of gratitude for that. Yeah. And he seemed like he was like him and Jake the Snake seemed to have been like the ultimate sort of ring tacticians and psychologists. Like they kind of already knew they had a feel for what the person was like. It seems like when, right as soon as they got in the ring with them. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I get letters from kids all the time that are getting into wrestling and they said, what is the one thing I, I should learn? What, what should I do? And I said, man, learn ring psychology. Watch Matt. Don't just watch the moves. Watch the reason why they did that move. You know, watch some guys like, man, there was guys I wrestled that. I just, I, I look back and I think about how good they were, like how great they were. Right. Eddie Guerrero, uh, Ric Flair, a night off. Like you, you, saw, you saw your name on the bulletin board that they used to put it in chalk on a bulletin board before the matches who you were wrestling that evening for television or, or wherever you were going. And you'd see your name, uh, you, if you saw Steve Austin or Eddie Guerrero or Ric Flair, um, uh, Triple H, um, Steve Regal, the list goes on and on. It was like a night off. It was like, it was like a joy. Like, you go, oh my God, this is going to be a fun night, you know, because you're wrestling guys that, man, it's almost like you just listen to them. You just listen to them and they were so good and so talented at what they did and, and do that um, it made you a better wrestler. Yeah, wow, that's so awesome, man. Who would you say, I guess, or what would you say are some of your favorite matches and some of your favorite sort of, um, I guess, rivalries? Um, well, it's funny, uh, Diamond Dale's page, because we're such close friends that when we would, you know, when you potato someone's when you hit them a little too hard, you know, <laughs> Dallas and I, we're, we're so close, like, we didn't care. You know, it was like, you know, a lot of guys would be really offended if you hit them too hard or you did a move too uh abruptly or something that you know and you really do got to take care of each other don't get me wrong it's it's the, not the right thing to do it ever hurt anybody in wrestling but ddp and i it was like there was there was real fights i was in that were easier than wrestling ddp at times mm -hmm. <laughs> and we laugh about it because we were trying so hard to be relevant in the sport we'd be like opening match on a pay-per-view you know mm -hmm. and uh we just wanted to get we wanted to improve so much we both won like a most improved wrestler over the years we both won rookie of the year so we we really pushed each other to it to a different level so i always enjoyed wrestling dallas because we were such good friends but guys like knights off like eddie grill that was that was a, just a it's a fun match with him. Stone Cold, man, I've learned how to become a, a really good wrestler because of someone like Steve Austin and Triple H and Steve Regal that taught me so much. I learned so much from those guys uh, in, in the business. Wow. And so, and in terms of, I guess, um, well, let me see, I guess, what's a, so in terms of like ring psychology, right? Who would you say, who would you say is sort of 
I mean, I guess this might be a difficult question to answer, but who mm. would you say is sort of like the best kind of in-ring performer that you've ever been in the ring with? Who would you say is like the guy that when he kind of comes there, where you knew, where you know it's going to be just an electrifying match? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a match King of the Ring, and, uh, you know, we, we just found out we were like wrestling each other, and next thing I know, it's like, um, he just, you know, we just would talk before the match, and he, it was like, a real short conversation. He goes, I'm gonna do this, 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 and I'll call this. And he goes, if the crowd's not with it, I'll change it up. Or and like that's where you go, wow, if the crowd's not with it, I'll change it up. <laughs> you hear that? Because you're like you're focused on A, B, C, D, E, F has to happen, you know? Right. And if he goes A, B, and I'll say, no, 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 we're not doing uh, uh, C, D, E. We're going right to G, H, I, you know, or something. Wow. And he was, he, he could do that, man. He, and it was so fun, like to wrestle him in a, like a house show where, you know, it's not television, but you, you know, you had a big crowd at a house show and he would, he would, he would gauge the match on how the crowd's reacting to things. And he was so good at that. Wow. That's actually so amazing. Cause that's like, he's like the Tom Brady or the Peyton Manning of professional wrestling. Like he can call an audible like that. Now, probably the best wrestler when you talk about moves and 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 uh, that new moves that you'd never even dreamed of doing, Eddie Guerrero. Oh yeah. my, that guy! You know what? When I wrestled him, I wrestled him on Nitro, and it was uh, I, I think it was I don't know, a fifteen or twenty minute draw match or something, you know. And Eddie was Eddie showed me moves I've never even done before that we did on live television, you know. He goes, I go, Eddie, I've never done that. He goes, Don't worry about it. You you can do it. You know, and it was like, wow, he just gave me the confidence and, and being in there with him. Wow. What, what a, just, I can't even say enough good things about how talented that guy is. Yeah. Was he the one who taught you the shooting star press? No, I actually saw that first over in Japan. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't remember who, who I saw do it, but I remember going that no one's ever done that in WWE at the time, you know? Yep. Um, and so I brought there, and then I brought a move that I don't know if I've ever seen it again. It was the, uh, the marrow salt where you're facing one way, you just jump up in the air, hit the rope and do a moonsault backwards, you know? And the reason I did that was I used to do it as a kid on the diving board. <laughs> so who would ever think that? I learned a move that I would bring to professional wrestling on a diving board. Um, yeah. uh, it was so funny because when I first decided to do the, the wild thing or the shooting star press, it was uh, it was on a pay per view, a SummerSlam against Goldust, and I as we're talking about the match. I said, "So here's what I want to do. I got this new move I want to try," and um, he said, well, "What is it?" I go, "Well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna Samoan drop you in the corner. I'm gonna go to top rope, and I'm gonna do like an inverted flip." He's looking. He goes, "Huh?" He goes, "Well, how are you gonna land?" I go, "Well, I'll open up and land. We'll land like chest to chest." And he goes, he's looking like, what the hell are you going to do to me? And he goes, and I go, don't worry, I, I, I'll protect you. And he goes, just do it. And he was like, just do it, you know? So, of course, in the match, and now, you know, it's different when you are got a live crowd sold out. I think it was in uh, Indianapolis, uh, SummerSlam. And here I am climbing the top rope for this move I've never done before. I've never even tried it on somebody before. And I remember just throwing myself backwards and opening up and landing on him and we didn't get hurt. It worked perfectly. And I've, I've never hurt anybody since then. I, I shouldn't say that. I, I think it was, um, um, who did I hit on the, my knee on their face was, um, oh gosh, I can't, I can't remember his name offhand. Gosh, I hate to say this, but it was, it was a gentleman that got paralyzed. Um, oh, wow. By, um, um, he, he, was it there? Darren Drostoff? Yes, yes. 
draws, man. A great guy too. Um, I remember just overshot a little bit and, and he, I mean, didn't, didn't break nothing or, or hurt him. He didn't even, that guy was so tough. He didn't even complain. He didn't even say anything about it, but it was like, I was so sorry when I realized my knee hit him, you know, in the face. Yeah. He was one tough son of a gun. Yeah. He was a great athlete. And I mean, he's even still sitting like now he has uh, YouTube videos out. He seems like a really great guy. Yeah. 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 He's a lot. Absolutely. And then, so Mark, for you, right, going going back and going back to, um, or going into the WWE from WCW, was it difficult to transition from the Johnny B. Bad character? Oh, it was one of the most, the most, it was so difficult because when I went to, to, I met with Vince McMahon, the creative team, and it was like, when we realized we couldn't use anything to do with the Johnny B. Bad character, what we were going to do. And, and they came with this character, Wild Man Mark Merrow, and Vince would ask me, he goes, like, can you do like a Tarzan yell? <laughs> I was like, I don't got a very strong voice. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think I can do a Tarzan yell. He goes, well, we got this character, Wild Man Mark Merrow, you know? And it was like, what am I? Am I from a jungle? What, what, what am I? And when, when this beautiful girl, because I brought my wife with me at the time, Arena Sable. And, um, you know, we, we, we came in and, and not only that, it was very difficult because I was, I was the first one to get a guaranteed contract uh, because I wouldn't come unless I had it. And Vince really wanted me at that time. And um, uh, I got a big signing bonus. I got a lot of perks and including bringing my wife with me. Um, you know, everywhere I traveled, she got to go with me before she was even signed as Sable. That was part of my contract was to have my wife travel with me. And then of course, when Vince saw her and I said to him, what well, can I use her as my valet since she's going to be with us all the time anyway. And that's how the uh, Sable character came out. Wow. And then what about the Marvelous character? How did you guys transition from the wild man? Well, to that after, you know, I blew out my knee. I needed reconstructive surgery, ACL, medial collateral, meniscus had to all be redone. And it was like, uh, I think I was out for like seven or eight months. And at that time, um, Sable became very popular. She was like, right. you know, um, going out there, you know, wearing someone's t-shirt and the, to sell for like Stone Cold, she wore like a 316 and right. they'd sell and, 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 and then she had her Sable Bomb shirts, you know, all these stuff that she was selling. So she was doing really well. So they brought me back as kind of the heel, like the jealousy of, you know, her getting over and me not getting over. And so, you know, hey, we're all for it because they're, they're like, at that time, they're, we're making great money. And uh, so it was in Vince Russo, we, 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 we kick ideas back and forth with Vince Russo. And, you know, I had a lot of fun. You know, it was like knowing I'm going to be the fall guy and she's going to just skyrocket. Of course, I'm fine with that, you know, and and it, it was really hard because um, I remember being at the time, you know, after she sable bombed me, I was going I was going to go into a program with Steve Austin, Stone Cold, yeah. and he he ixnated. He goes, I'm not wrestling someone that got beat up by a girl. You know, how does it look for me? And, he, and I could totally get that now. But at the time, you know, it was like, uh, hey, who cares? You know, wrestling's wrestling, you know, but um, I understand that and um, totally respect that opinion and decision makes sense yeah but at the time you know you don't you don't you just you're making great money we're both under guaranteed contracts so we're living the life well what were some of your favorite parts of the attitude era um my favorite parts you know just getting to wrestle guys i never would have wrestled you know it's like a, a going to wrestlemania uh, was a big highlight thinking about this uh we wrestled i remember we did the first i did um um intergender tag match with uh uh you know me and sable against uh gold dust and luna yeah. 
Yep. Uh, it was Boston Gar or uh, the Fleet Center in Boston and sold out. And uh, we just popped that crowd huge. You know, it was just incredible. Uh, you, you, you know, in other words, you got to the dance. You know, when I left WCW, I realized that you never really could say you, I don't mean this to demean anyone, but for myself, I felt like I never felt like I would have made it if I didn't go to the dance, which right. is WrestleMania. And I did on a few occasions. So it was like a, a real blessing uh, to go to do that. So that was one of the, the big highlights. I, of course, of winning the Intercontinental title, um, you know, in a tournament. And I had to beat Owen Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, Ron Simmons, Farouk, you know, uh, beating those guys to get to the to, to win the, the title was a was a big uh, uh, achievement or, or what you look at as a company really wanting to, um, you know, see if you could run with the belt. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, going back to the motivational speaking, on the days that you weren't feeling it, right, what is it that sort of kept you going? Because, and I'll just add this little part here, because uh, I noticed that sometimes your mind doesn't want to do something that you know you have to do. And sometimes you have to act first and you sort of drag your mind. And then once you start getting into the, the motion, the momentum of it, then you start to be into what it is that you're supposed to do. And um, that's something I noticed. But then other times I noticed it's like you almost have to remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing to keep yourself motivated. So you can kind of bring that energy to other people. What was it for you that sort of keeps you going like those days when you're doing like a five hour, five hours of speaking plus hours of meeting people and, and prep and stuff. Well, I knew I didn't ever want to call it in. I didn't want anyone to, I, I wanted everyone to walk out of there learning something, feeling something. And, um, you know, the, the old uh, Maya Angelou uh, said, you know, people are gonna forget what you said, they're gonna forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Right. I never wanted someone to walk out going, oh my gosh, that was boring or, you know, I, I really, and, and yes, there's times our minds are so powerful. There's times I was almost sleeping before, you know, uh, showtime. It was like, I was so tired. You know, our plane got in late. Uh, I had to get up at four to drive two hours, whatever it would be. You know, I just remember mm -hmm. just, there were times where you just go, I just don't want to be here today. You know, I just feel so tired, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when that, you know, you got, that five minute warning comes, you're gonna be going out on stage in five minutes and you prepare yourself. And and when that curtain opens or you walk out there and that spotlight comes on, you just turn it on, man, and you don't turn it off. You know that you have the ability to make a difference in somebody's life. And I, I'm thankful that I have never or could ever be accused of calling it in or just showing up, you know, and collecting money or something, you know, man, I, I, hear you. I want yeah. everyone to be there and go, man, that was a great presentation. Wow. Uh, what are, I guess, some of the most inspirational things that other people have told you? About, about something I learned or about myself or what, what do you mean by that? So, okay, good question. So all of those things, right? What are some of the things that people have said to inspire you directly? And what are some of the things that you feel like you've heard from others that you could use to inspire others? I got some uh, friends in the inspirational industry that are, are always fun to, to listen to or, or watch. Or um, I have one, one real close friend of mine. His name is uh, Dave Martin. He's a very popular inspirational speaker. And, you know, sometimes when I, I've traveled um, all over with him or, or to watch him before, and, you know, you might hear the same joke over and over again, but every time it's funny, you know, because the, the crowd is just with him. 
and he's just so talented. And I've learned so much from him, watching him and, and being a, a, you know, part of, of, of his, uh, his ministry and, and uh, just a great friend, mentor. Um, and some, I guess the, the greatest thing someone could ever say to you as an inspirational speaker is, you saved my life. And when you hear that, you go, wow, you know, what a blessing it is to know that you inspired someone so much who was on the verge of ending their life that said you inspired them, you know, and, and that's, a, I don't know, something that will never get old when I, when I, when I hear that or read that or someone tells me that or meets me in person or, um, you know, it, it's just the greatest thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I want to read a question from Douglas Edwards. So Douglas Edwards is the author of a book called Philosophy Smackdown. He's a huge Mark Marrow fan. He's been a huge wrestling yeah. fan since God knows what. All of us kind of, uh, I guess you could say, grew up in wrestling. So he wrote, um, my brother and I were huge Johnny B. Bad fans, and we enjoyed the WWE. Well, the WWF, but the WWE now. So he, so he wrote, I'd be keen to know how Mark saw the similarities and differences between wrestling and boxing, both in terms of mental preparation and performance. Did wrestling seem more like a sport or art to him um you know what it's funny because um I, I i boxed for a total of six years and i never was hurt other than when, when i hurt my when i shattered my nose you know uh in wrestling man it's much more dangerous wow. <laughs> you know i've had so i've had 14 surgeries now and most of them were because of professional wrestling uh wow. So I look at the wrestling as, you know, people say, you know, when people say, well, isn't wrestling fake? I'll say, gravity is real, <laughs> okay? Yeah. When Undertaker picks him over his head and body slams you, it's real. <laughs> or, or he choke slams you. I mean, it, when I say, you know, it, it really, you know, you your body takes a beating, you know, and I don't care. Anybody that's in, been in the industry for a number of years can tell you, they show you the scars or the surgeries they've had because of professional wrestling. Wow. Yeah, and then, I mean, as compared to boxing, you were boxing probably a couple of times, well, maybe not a couple, let's say a handful of times a year, as opposed to when you were on the road, how many times a week were you wrestling? That's a that's another really good point. You know, it's it's like, you know, when you think of wrestling, the uh, WrestleMania it, it, uh, ultimately is like your Super Bowl of, of, of wrestling, you know? Okay. And in football, you know, at the Super Bowl, then you got, you know, three, four months off before you go back to training camp. You know, your body's healing up and stuff. You know, after our Super Bowl, WrestleMania, we're at Monday Night Raw the next night, you know? So if you're one of the guys that are on television, you do not get much of a break. You know, you'd average, you know, 230, 250 events a year, and your body takes a real toll. And there's nights that you landed wrong, you tweaked your ankle, your back or something, and you got to be out there the next night. And, and thus, a lot of the pain medication become a problem because of guys that were hurting so bad. And, you know, you don't want to lose your spot or you can't call it. There's no such thing as calling in sick. <laughs> you know, you don't call Vince and go, hey, uh, listen, I know we're at uh, uh, we're at the Boston Garden tonight, but I, I just not feeling good tonight. <laughs> it's like you don't you can't do that. You know, your name's up there. You got to be there. Right. And when, when we spoke about your addiction earlier, was that due to painkillers? It was uh, it was mostly cocaine was my drug of habit, which was really my downfall in life. You know, if there's ever a drug that, and of course, pain medication, you know, um, it becomes really prevalent. You know, you always say, I don't got a problem, but you're doing it all the time because you're always hurting. Right. So, uh, but my my problem was, uh, was cocaine. And uh, 
It's a drug I, I know if I ever did again, I would be dead. And oh. I'm so blessed to be away from drugs. And, um, you know, I feel great. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 61 years old coming this summer. And I feel like wow. a kid. And my body's all healed up, uh, you know, through all of the surgeries. And um, I, I just am blessed. I really am. Wow. What sort of uh, helped you with the drug issue? Was it like a like a support group? Was it uh, friends, family? Did you sort of pull yourself out because you didn't like what life was like with drugs? You know, it's a, a great question. I kind of answered it earlier. For me, it was much different because it was my faith in God. Um, you know, and everyone has their own thing. And I'm not saying, you know, I mean, the, 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 the special groups that help you with drug addiction and, and rehab centers and things like that are wonderful, but different things work for different people. Yeah. Mine was, uh, you know, getting down on my knees and asking God into my life. And that changed it for me. Doesn't mean I don't, I don't make mistakes or, you know, do stupid things where you just go, what am I doing? You know, it just means that you keep trying to do better in life. You know, I treat, I want to, I hope to be an example of someone that's overcome adversity and made a difference. Do I fall at times? Yeah, not not with drugs. I've, like I said, I've never done an illegal drug and now I'm, I'm my 18th year of, of, of staying away from drugs. So I'm blessed in that area. But, um, you know, I went through a divorce last year, which I never thought would happen in my life again. And you become, I guess, so fixated and helping everybody else, you don't see the issues in your own life, you know? And um, so, uh, but I, I had a, a, a 10-year marriage to my, my, my um, last wife was um, Darlene. And um, we're still best of friends today, which is wonderful. You know, we text each other and send each other pictures that show memories and things, you know? But um, it was just, I was gone so much. I remember leaving wrestling when I used to travel all over the world with wrestling. And I remember my last tour was in England and it was a, I had, I had three years left on my guaranteed contract with WWE at that time. I didn't want to do it anymore. It's like, I, I threw my hands up. I'm done. We were flying home from uh, England. And I remember thinking, man, I never got to do this again. I don't got to get on planes no more. I don't got to travel no more. I got to see the world, man. I don't got to do it no more. You know? And what do I do? <laughs> Get right back on the plane as not a wrestler, but an inspirational speaker. And it's, it took its toll on my marriage. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things you look back on your life and you wish you would have, you wish you would have done it differently. But um, like I said, I, I don't want to live with regrets. I don't want to live looking back on my life. I want to look forward. I want to continue to make a difference. And, and maybe I could be an example to someone that's going through uh, a marital issue that maybe say, hey, let me, let me tell you something. I know what may be wrong here you know right. yeah and the thing that i appreciate the most about you is how you know kind of as i'm sure obviously you know in the wrestling business it's all ego you have to kind of even if you don't believe in yourself you have to kind of bolster yourself up as being the superior person because you're in competition and in those kind of highly competitive environments you kind of have to psych your opponents out you know even if they're not opponents in the ring they're still opponents in the back but for you you kind of went from this point of like you know sort of it's about me it's about me becoming a star it's about fame to okay now i'm going to kind of use that success and use that sort of um let's say recognition that i've achieved 
achieve through wrestling to show people like why humility is important and why relationships and sort of intimacy and love is more important than any of the stuff I ever attained in the business. And I, I really appreciate that because it's like, it's so hard for any human being to go from like pure ego and pure like male testosterone to humility and saying things like you've been saying, like, you know, hey, look, I'm not better than anybody else. And if anything, my purpose here is to show that I make mistakes, that you make mistakes and that we can all learn and kind of grow from them. And I really love that. Oh, well, thank you. You know, we all have a past. You either, either, um, you either, you know, people that go keep going back into their past, you either learn from it, you can grow from it, or you can just run from it. And I, I ran from it for many years. And now I'm just, this is me, man. This is who I am. This is the mistakes I've made. This is the difference I hope to make in someone else's life that they don't have to make the same mistakes. You know, you can get wisdom from one of three ways. You get wisdom from like uh, your, your parents, a coach, uh, um, a mentor, get wisdom from them. You get wisdom from books and DVDs, or you can get wisdom from mistakes. And guys, I'm the king, <laughs> the king of mistakes. <laughs> so I use them now as amazing learning experiences to help someone else not do the same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And how would you say, or how would you feel that, let's say, um, in terms of the business, what would you say, like, uh, I guess the thing that's, or the things that have changed about it, like, what would you say they were over the years? Like, how has the business changed? Well, one of the things, and, and you know, whether I may have a small part in this, you know, is up for debate, I guess. But, you know, when I spoke out against the, uh, the drugs. And when I was there, I mean, remember, we lost so many guys that died so young, you know, yeah. uh, through, through drug overdose uh, and a lot of issues that people were going through. And now they have some of the strictest drug testing out there. Um, we also have now have free rehab for anybody that's ever wrestled for WWE. They do that now. Right. So, I think by some of us speaking up against it, maybe we made a difference. You know, maybe there's someone that wouldn't have been alive today if they didn't change that. You know, that some guys have taken the WWE up on that drug rehab program. They can go to any drug rehab in the country and WWE will pay for it. How, how, how wonderful is that for guys that are, are suffering from addiction or depression or whatever it is that they're going through? And the drug testing now, I mean, we don't, we don't see the wrestlers passing as much as we did before. I mean, very seldom you, see, you hear about a guy dying from a drug overdose now in WWE. So kudos, man. I'm happy that they made those changes. Mm. Yeah. Would you give any advice to the younger self that was just breaking into the business? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, you know, I, obviously, you so many times you try to fit in. You you, you don't want to be you want to be liked or you 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 stand up for who you are. You know. Um, the, the drugs that I did were a lot of recreational drugs and partying after times. I remember um, I actually missed wrestling matches because I was too high to go. Wow. And I'll never forget my mentor, the guy who gave me my break, Dusty Rhodes, the guy who said, anybody ever tell you, you look like little Richard. He took me in his office and he said to me, if you miss one more show, one more show, you're done. I made you and I can break you. I'll never forget that conversation. And you know, it wasn't the fear of losing my job. It was more the pain of seeing him so hurt because he gave me the break right. and seeing him distraught. He never, Dusty was such a cheerful guy. It was so much fun to be around. And some of my greatest memories were, were because he created the character Johnny B. Bad. 
he was the one that was always with me before the matches and telling me how to talk, tell me how to walk. Cause you know, he was Mr. Flamboyant. He would say, you know, tell him, go, go, oh, hush, you know, or something. Like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he goes, do like this, do like this, go, I'm so pretty. I should have worn a little girl. And I'd say, oh. <laughs> you know, we, I would laugh so hard watching him be Johnny B. Bad. He would have been the best Johnny B. Bad. <laughs> so, that was hard, man, seeing him so hurt from my drug addiction and abuse that I was going through with WCW uh, to, to actually have to pull me in his office and just um, tell me he was going to let me go if it happens again. It was like it hurt him more to say it than, than, than you know, than me when he was said it, just to watch just the pain he was going through. And I'll never forget that. And he's one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life was that man, Dusty Rhodes. Wow. What was he like behind the scenes? <laughs> Funny. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. He just loved to make people laugh. He's, he was a great storyteller. Um, he could tell the great, the greatest, funniest stories. Um, but like I said, the, my, my fun with him was like when we would get to the matches a little early, cause he'd want to work with me on the character, Johnny be bad. And the, the thing I hated guys, I hated wearing that makeup, you know, the <laughs> eyeliner and all that you know the to be real flamboyant you know so what i started doing was um like you know the, you guys heard of the gorilla position that's the position you go to before you walk through the curtains you know mm-hmm. and like dusty Rhodes would sit there the booker and and the people running the show would sit there with the headsets in front of the monitors to tell the referee when to tell the wrestlers to take it home whatever what they were right there so the last person i would see before i walked through when my music played was dusty Rhodes. So little by little, I would stop taking off the eyeliner, the rouge, the <laughs> lipstick. And he'd look at me and he'd go, oh, 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 no, no. Go get some color on. <laughs> Tell me to go back and put makeup on. Oh, so I'd try to sneak off the lipstick. I'd walk back there like this and just, <laughs> let me see you. You pretty? <laughs> he goes, lipstick. <laughs> And so finally I said to him, I go, Dusty, the character's really gotten over. We, you know, I, I go and speak to these kids at school and, and they're always like, why do you wear makeup? You know? And, and I go, I don't, we don't think we need it no more. So he, he eventually let me drop the makeup and kind of make it into more like, you know, the Muhammad Ali, little Richard character that we eventually became after the first couple of years of the, the makeup. So I, I enjoyed that a lot more. Wow, that's such a cool story. And with Dusty you know, what's so funny, guys, is that I speak at schools all the time. And, you know, the kids I come in is obviously my real name is Mark Merrill. So kids Google Mark Merrill and all the WWE stuff shows up. Wild Man Mark Merrill, Marvelous Mark Merrill. And they're like, oh, I saw this picture. That's really cool. But every once in a while, a kid come up with his cell phone and he goes, is this you? Any <laughs> picture of me with all the makeup on, you know? Woo! <laughs> no, I never saw him before in my life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And it seemed like Dusty Rhodes was like one of the few people who actually embodied the character that he played on television. Like he looked like he was that exact person. Oh yeah, just, just, I don't know, he just, he's one of those guys can light up a room. I don't care. It's like when he walked in the locker room, everybody like, hey, Dream, what's up? You know, everybody like happy to see him, you know? So I don't know, just, I, I, I just don't, like I said, the only sad memory I have is when he, when he told me that because of my drug addiction, he was going to have to fire me. And, uh, and that was totally on me. I mean, other than that, I got nothing but, man, it's funny because when someone mentions his name, it just brings a smile to my face because I, I just, I'm go to all the fun I used to have with him. 
Yeah, wow. And what about some of the other people? Like, who would you say were in terms of the characters? Who was actually exactly like the character outside of Dusty Rhodes that they played on television? By far, Nikita Koloff. You know, I yeah. didn't know he wasn't from Russia. I didn't even know that. Even when I was Johnny B. Bad, he still spoke like with that broken accent in the locker room. And it's so funny because I said to him, I mean, once I got to know him, I mean, he's a, he's a minister now. So, you know, we're, we're friends and stuff. And I told the story about, I never knew you weren't from Russia. I didn't know you weren't this guy, you know? And that's, he, he lived that character. I mean, that's, that's hard to do, but he lived it, man. I mean, it, it changed his name to Nikita Koloff, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kind of like what the ultimate warrior eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So he lived into this day. He's still Nikita Koloff. So I don't even know his real name, but I just didn't know he wasn't Russian. I didn't know when I worked with him in WCW, I, he never talked normal. Like, like we're talking now. He talked with his, with, with a broken uh, Russian accent. Right. He just lived. He, I mean, there's no need to do it backstage, but he did. He just lived that character. And so he was the one guy that I really seen that, that really, really lived the character. Wow. And who do you think are some of the up and coming guys? Like who's who to watch out for? Um, you know, guys, I, I don't watch wrestling all that much anymore. Not, not nothing bad. It's just, a, it's just my own lifestyle. And I hear you. I go. But um, um, I, I did um, uh, why are, uh, DDPY, the yoga, the other uh, last week, and Darby Allen was there. Mm-hmm. And I, I never saw Darby Allen before, but um, because I've become friends with him doing the yoga with him with DDP, I, he was going to be on TV that night. So I wanted to watch him and stuff. And, and he's real charismatic. I mean, he's, he's fun to watch and who, man, his body takes a beating though. You know, it's like, so you got to keep doing that DDP. Why? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Alan, any questions for Mark before we wrap up, man? Yeah. Um, if we wanted to follow you, follow your work, uh, where, where could we find you? You know, if you want to see some of my videos, you go to the, the uh, my YouTube page, which is the Mark Merrow. YouTube.com, the Mark Merrow, and Mark is M A R C M E R O, and I have a whole page of different inspirational videos you can see there. But if you're on um, Instagram or Twitter, it's at Mark Merrow, and you can always find me on Facebook. There's a Mark Merrow page, um, and uh, I love receiving letters and I try to get back to as many people as possible. I really enjoy um, reading letters and um, trying to um, give some, you know, relevant advice to people that are going through some stuff right now. Absolutely. And Mark, so thank you so much for coming on. And Thanks, for, me, for me as a kid, I've been following your career since I was a kid. So this was incredibly meaningful for me. Well, thank you guys. I look forward to, to maybe doing it down the road again and take care. God bless and God bless your listeners too. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be in touch soon. You too, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Okay. Wow. That was awesome. Mark Merrill, man. (laughs) (laughs) I got to be honest with you. Yeah. There are some moments like, for example, when he was talking about how, um, like his relationship with his mom, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't want to make it about me while we're talking to him, but uh, it actually, I, I connected with it too. Like, for example, that moment where he's like, he couldn't even approach the casket. Uh, my mom passed when she was like, uh, when, sorry, when she, when I was 12, right? And I also had that experience. Like, I couldn't, you know, uh, approach the casket. And like his, the fact that he wished he treated his mom better or that things kind of went a different way and what she meant to him and like what, how his story helped um, that person's letter, you know, that, that you read in the beginning, that was incredible. That's so but yeah. awesome. Go for it. Yeah. But, uh, 
guys, if you want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, I look forward to next week's episode and see you next time.